Chapter fourteen of South Sea Idols by Charles Warren Stoddard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter fourteen The Chapel of the Palms. Oh, the long suffering of him who threads a narrow trail over the brown crust of a hill where the short grass lies flat in tropical sunshine. On one side sleeps the blue, monotonous sea on the other crags clothe themselves in cool mist and look dreamy and solemn the boy kahele who has no ambition beyond the bit of his footsore mustang lags behind taking all the dust with commendable resignation as for me i am wet through with the last shower i steam in a fierce noonday heat i spur hokay the mule into the shadow of a great cloud that drifts lazily overhead and i am grateful for this unsatisfying shade as long as it lasts i watch the sea swinging my whip by its threadbare lash like a pendulum the sea where a very black rock is being drowned over and over by the tremendous swell that covers it for a moment but somehow the rock comes to the surface again and seems to gasp horribly in a deluge of breakers that rock has been drowning for centuries yet its struggle for life is as real as ever i watch the mountains cleft with green fern cushioned chasms where an occasional stream silently distills far up on a sun-swept ledge a white scattering drift looking like a rose garden after a high wind i know to be a flock of goats feeding but the wind-dried and sunburnt grass underfoot the intangible dust that pervades the air the rain-cloud in the distance trailing its banners of crape in the sea as it bears down upon us these are what fret me a little and make life a burden for the time being so i spur my faithless hokay up a new ascent as forbidding as any that we have come yet upon and slowly and with many pauses creep to the summit kahele the goer belies his name for he loiters everywhere and always yet i am not sorry i have the first glimpse of waialua all to myself i am not obliged to betray my emotion which is a bore of the first sort Waialua lies at my feet, a valley full of bees, butterflies, and blossoms, the sea fawning at the mouth of it, the clouds melting over it, waterfalls gushing from numerous green corners, silver-white phaetons floating in mid-air at a loss to choose between earth and heaven, though evidently a little inclined earthward, for they no sooner drift out of the bewildering bowers of Waialua than they return again with noticeable haste. Down I plunge into the depths of the valley, with the first drops of a heavy shower pelting me in the back, and under a great tree that seems yearning to shelter somebody i pause till the rain is over anon the slow-footed kehele arrives leaking all over and bringing a peace-offering of ohias the native apple as juicy and sweet as the forbidden fruits of paradise as for these apples they have solitary seed like nutmeg a pulp as white as wax a juice flavored with roses and their skin as red as a peony and as glossy as varnish 
these we munch and munch while the forest reels under the impetuous avalanches of big raindrops and our animals tear great tufts of sweet grass from the upper roadside is it far to the chapel i wonder Kahaley thinks not perhaps a parry or two distant but a parry a cliff has many antecedents and i feel that some dozen or so of climbs each more or less fatiguing still separate me from the rest i am seeking and hope not to find until i reach the abode of pere fidelis at the foot of the cross as one might say the rain ceases okay once more nerves himself for fresh assaults upon the everlasting hills kahaley drops behind as usual and the afternoon wanes how fresh seems the memory of this journey yet its place is with the archives of the past i seem to breathe the incense of orange flowers and to hear the whisper of distant waterfalls as i write it must have been toward sunset we were threading the eastern coast and a great mountain filled the west but i felt that it was the hour when day ends and night begins the heavy clouds looked as though they were still brimful of sunlight yet no ray escaped to gladden our side of the world finally on the brow of what seemed to be the last hill in this life i saw a cross a cross among the palms okay saw it and quickened his pace he was not so great an ass but he knew that there was provender in the green pastures of pere fidelis and his heart freshened within him a few paces from the grove of palms i heard a bell swing jubilantly out over the solemn sea up and down that foam-crested shore rang the sweet angelus one may pray with some fervour when one's journey is at an end when the prayer was over i walked to the gate of the chapel yard leading the willing hoquet and at that moment a slender figure clad all in black his long robes flowing gracefully about him his boyish face heightening the effect of his grave and serene demeanour his thin sensitive hands held forth in hearty welcome a welcome that was almost like a benediction so spiritual was the love which it expressed came out and i found myself in the arms of pere fidelis feeling like one who has at least been permitted to kneel upon the threshold of his mecca why do our hearts sing jubilate when we meet a friend for the first time what is it within us that with its life-long yearning comes suddenly upon the all-sufficient one and in a moment is crowned and satisfied i could not tell whether i was at last waking from a sleep or just sinking into a dream i could have sat there at his feet contented i could have put off my worldly cares resigned ambition forgotten the past and in the blessed tranquillity of that hour have dwelt joyfully under the palms with him seeking only to follow in his patient footsteps until the end should come perhaps it was the realization of an ideal that plunged me into a luxurious reverie out of which i was summoned by mon père who hinted that i must be hungry prophetic father hungry i was indeed mon père led me to his little house with three rooms and installed me host himself being my ever watchful attendant then he spoke the lads were at the sea fishing would i excuse him for a moment 
alone in the little house with a glass of claret and a hard biscuit for refreshment i looked about me the central room in which i sat was bare to nakedness a few devotional books a small clock high up on the wall with a short wagging pendulum two or three paintings betraying more sentiment than merit a table a wooden form against the window and a crucifix complete its inventory a high window was at my back a door in front opening upon a veranda shaded with a passion vine beyond it a green undulating country running down into the sea on either hand a little cell containing nothing but a narrow bed a saint's picture and a rosary kahele having distributed the animals in good pasturage lay on the veranda at full length supremely happy as he jingled his spurs over the edge of the steps and hummed a native air in subdued falsetto like a mosquito again i sank into a reverie enter mon pere with apologies and a plate of smoking cakes made of eggs and batter his own handiwork enter the lads from the sea with excellent fish knotted in long wisps of grass enter kahele lazily sniffing the savory odors of our repast with evident relish and then supper in good earnest how happy we were having such talks in several sorts of tongues such polyglot efforts toward sociability french english and native in equal parts but each spoken and spliced to suit our dire necessity the candle flamed and flickered in the land breeze that swept through the house unctuous waxen stalactites decorated it almost past recognition the crickets sang lustily at the doorway the little natives grew sleepy and curled up on their mats in the corner kahele slept in his spurs like a born muleteer and now a sudden conviction seized us that it was bedtime in very truth so mon pere led me to one of the cells saying will you sleep in the room of pere amabilis yea verily with all humility and there i slept after the benediction during which the young priest's face looked almost like an angel's in its youthful holiness and i was afraid i might wake in the morning and find him gone transported to some other and more lovely world but i didn't pere fidelis was up before daybreak it was his hand that clashed the joyful angelus at sunrise that woke me from my happy dream it was his hand that prepared the frugal but appetizing meal he made the coffee such rich black aromatic coffee as frenchmen alone have the faculty of producing he had an eye to the welfare of the animals also and seemed to be commander-in-chief of a fair secular as well as ecclesiastical yet he was so young there was a day of brief incursions mountainward with the happiest results there were welcomes showered upon me for his sake he was ever ministering to my temporal wants and puzzling me with dissertations in assorted languages by happy fortune a sunday followed when the chapel of the palms was thronged with dusky worshippers not a white face present but the father's and mine own yet a common trust in the blessedness of the life to come struck the keynote of universal harmony and we sang the magnificat with one voice there was something that fretted me in all this admirable experience 
Perfidelis could touch neither bread nor water until after the last mass. Hour by hour he grew paler and fainter, spite of the heroic fortitude that sustained his famishing body. Mon père, said I, you must eat or go to heaven betimes. He would not. You must end with an earlier mass, I persisted. It was impossible. Many parishioners came from miles away. Some of these started at daybreak, as it was, and they would be unable to arrive in season for an earlier mass. Excellent martyr, thought I, to offer thy body a living sacrifice for the edification of these savage Christians. At last he ate, but not until appetite itself had perished. Then troops of children gathered about him, clamoring to kiss the hand of the priestly youth. Old men and women passed him with heads uncovered, amazed at the devotion of one they could not hope to emulate. Whenever I referred to his life, he at once led me to admire his fellow apostle, who was continually in his thoughts. Père Amabilis was miles away, repairing a chapel that had suffered somewhat in a late gale. Père Amabilis would be so glad to see me, I must not fail to visit him, and for fear of some mischance, Père Fidelis would himself conduct me to him. The way was hard, deep chasms to penetrate, swift streams to be forded, narrow and slippery trails to be threaded through forest, swamp, and wilderness. These obstacles separated the devoted friends, but not for long seasons. Père Fidelis would go to him whom he had not laid eyes on for a fortnight, at least. The boy Cahaly was glad of companionship. One of the small fishers, an acolyte of the chapel, would accompany us, and together they could lag behind, eating ojillas and dabbling in every stream. A long day's journey followed. We wended our way through jungles of Lauhala, with slim roots in the air and long branches trailing about them like vines. They were like great cages of roots and branches in a woven snarl. We saw a rocky point jutting far into the sea. Père Amabilis dwells just beyond that cape, said my companion fondly, and it seemed not very far distant. But our pace was slow and wearisome, and the hours were sure to distance us. We fathomed dark ravines whose farther walls were but a stone's throw from us, but in whose profound depths a swift torrent rushed madly to the sea, threatening to carry us to our destruction, green precipitous troughs where the tide of mountain rain was lashed into fury, and with its death song drowned our voices and filled our animals with terror. Now and then we paused to breathe, man and beast panting with fatigue. Sometimes the rain drove us into the thick wood for shelter. Sometimes a brief deluge, the offspring of a rent cloud at the head of the ravine, stayed our progress for half an hour, until its volume was somewhat spent and the stream was again fordable. Here we talked of the daily miracles in nature. Again and again the young fathers are called forth into the wilderness to attend on the sick and dying. Little chapels are hidden away among the mountains and through the valleys. All these must be visited in turn. Their life is an actual pilgrimage from chapel to chapel, which nothing but physical inability may interrupt. 
at one spot i saw a tree under which pere fidelis once passed a tempestuous night on either side yawned a ravine swept by an impassable flood there were no houses within reach on the soaked earth with a pitiless gale sweeping over the land from sunset to sunrise he lay without the consolation of one companion food was frequently scarce a few limpets about as palatable as parboiled shoe leather a paste of roast yams and water a lime perhaps and nothing besides but lumpy salt from the seashore while we were riding a herald met us bearing a letter for mon père it was a greeting from pere amabilis who announced the chapel as rapidly nearing its complete restoration pere fidelis fairly wept for joy at this intelligence and burst into a panegyric upon the unrivalled ingenuity of his spiritual associate we were sure to surprise him at work and this trifling episode seemed to be an event of some importance in the isolated life they led at sunset we passed into the open vale of Wyaluanui and saw the chapel looking fresh and tidy on the slope of the hill toward the sea two waterfalls that fell against the sunset flashed like falling flame and a soft haze tinged with the slumberous solitudes of wood and pasture with the dreamlike loveliness of a picture there seemed to be but one sound audible the quick sharp blows of a hammer Perfidelis listened with eyes sparkling and then rode rapidly onward behold from the chapel wall high up on a scaffolding of boughs his robes gathered about him his head uncovered and hammer in hand Per amabilis leaned forth to welcome us the hammer fell to the earth Per amabilis loosened his skirts and clasped his hands in unaffected rapture we were three satisfied souls asking for nothing beyond the hymn of that lonely valley in the pacific of course there was the smallest possible house that could be lived in for our sole accommodation because but one priest needed to visit the district at a time and a very young priest at that a tiny bed in one corner of the room was thought sufficient together with two plates two cups and a single spoon luxuries were unknown and unregretted well father what have you at this hotel said father fidelis as we came to the door of the cubby-house water replied our host with a grave tone that had an undercurrent of truth in it but we were better provided for within an hour's time a reception took place native parishioners came forth to welcome pere fidelis and the stranger each bringing some voluntary tribute a fish a fowl lean enough to quiet the conscience of pere fidelis an egg or two or a bunch of taro long talks followed the news of the last month was discussed with much enthusiasm and some few who had no opportunity of joining in the debate gave expression to their sentiments through such speaking eyes as savages usually are possessed of the welcome supper hour approached willing hands dressed a fowl swift feed plied between the spring and the kettle swung over the open campfire children danced for very joy before the door of the chapel under the statue of the virgin whose head was adorned with a garland of living flowers 
The shadows deepened, stars seemed to cluster over the valley and glow with unusual fervor. The crickets sang mightily, they are always singing mightily over yonder. Supper came to the bare table with its meager array of dishes, and since I was forced to have a whole plate and a bowl, as well as the solitary spoon, for my sole use, the two young priests ate together from the same dish and drank from the same cup, and were as grateful and happy as the birds of the air under similar circumstances. A merry meal, that, for us no weak tea, that satirical consoler, nor tea whose strength is bitterness, an abomination to the faithful, but Mon Père's own coffee, the very aroma of which was invigorating. And then our friendly pipes out under the starlight, where we sat chatting amicably with our three heads turbaned in an aromatic Virginian cloud. I learned something of the life of these two friends during that social evening. Born in the same city in the north of France, reared in the same schools, graduated from the same university, each fond of life and acquainted with its follies, each in turn stricken with an illness that threatened death, together they came out of the dark valley, with their future consecrated to the work that now absorbs them, the friendship of their childhood increasing with their years and sustaining them in a remote land, where their vow of poverty seems almost like a sarcasm, since circumstance deprives them of all luxuries. Do you never long for home? Do you never regret your vow? I asked. Never, they answered, and I believe them. These old people are as parents to us. These younger ones are as brothers and sisters. These children we love as dearly as though they were our own. What more can we ask? What more, indeed? With the rain beating down upon your unsheltered heads, and the torrents threatening to engulf you, faint with journeyings, and hungered often, weak with fastings, pallid with prayer. What more can you ask in the same line, say I? Per Fidelis coughed a little, and was somewhat feverish. I could see that his life was not elastic. His strength was even then failing him. Per Amabilis is an artisan. He built his house, and it is small enough, but some day he will build a house for me, but six feet long and so broad, said Per Fidelis, shrugging his shoulders. Whereat Per Amabilis, who looked like a German student with his long hair and spectacles, turned aside to wipe the moisture from the lenses, and said nothing, but laid his hand significantly upon the shoulder of his friend, as if imploring silence. Alas for him when those lips are silent forever! I wondered if they had no recreation. Oh, yes, the poor pictures at the Chapel of the Palms are ours, but we have not studied art, and then we are sometimes summoned to the farther side of the island, where we meet new faces. It is a great change. For a year before the arrival of Père Amabilis, who was not sooner able to follow his friend, Père Fidelis was accustomed to go once a month to a confessional many miles away. That his absence might be as brief as possible, he was obliged to travel night and day. Sometimes he would reach the house of his confessor at midnight, when all were sleeping. Thereupon would follow this singular colloquy in true native fashion. 
a rap at the door at midnight the confessor waking from his sleep confessor who's there per fidelis it is i confessor who is i per fidelis fidelis confessor fidelis who per fidelis fidelis kahuna pule fidelis the priest confessor awe an expression of the greatest surprise entre fidelis kahuna pule then he would rise and the communion that followed must have been most cheering to both for mon pere even now is merry when he recalls it these pilgrimages are at an end for the two priests confess to one another conceive of the fellowship that hides away no secret however mortifying the whole population must have been long asleep before we thought of retiring that night and then arose an argument concerning the fittest occupant of the solitary bed it fell to me for both were against me and each was my superior when i protested they held up their fingers and said remember we are your fathers and must be obeyed thus i was driven to the bed while mine host lay on the bare floor with saddles for pillows it was this self-sacrificing hospitality that hastened my departure i felt earth could offer me no nobler fellowship that all acts to come however gracious would bear a tinge of selfishness in comparison with the reception i have met where least expected i am thankful that i had not the heart to sleep well for i think i could never have forgiven myself had i done so when i woke in the early part of the night i saw the young priest bowed over their breviaries for i had delayed the accustomed offices of devotion and they were fulfilling them in peace at last having me so well bestowed that it was utterly impossible to do aught else for my entertainment once more the morning came i woke to find pere amabilis at work hammer in hand sending his nails home with accurate strokes that spoke well for his trained muscle pere fidelis was concocting coffee and directing the volunteer cooks who were seeking to surpass themselves upon this last meal we were to take together in an hour mon pere was to start for the chapel of the palms while i wended my way onward through a new country bearing with me the consoling memory of my precious friends i can forgive a slight and forget the person who slights me but little kindnesses probe me to the quick i wonder why the twin fathers were so very careful of me that morning they could not do enough to satisfy themselves and that made me miserable they stabbed me with tender words and tried to be cheerful with such evident effort that i couldn't eat half my breakfast though as it was i ate more than they did god forgive me and altogether it was a solemn and a memorable meal a group of natives gathered about us seated upon the floor it was impossible for perfidelis to move without being stroked by the affectionate creatures who deplored his departure Père Amabilis insisted upon adjusting our saddles, during which ceremony he slyly hid a morsel of cold fowl in our saddlebags. That parting was as cruel as death. We shall probably never see one another again. If we do, we shall be older and more practical and more worldly, and the exquisite confidence we have in one another will have grown blunt with time. 
I felt it then as I know it now. Our brief idol can never be lived over in this life. Well, we departed. The corners of our blessed triangle were spread frightfully. Père Fidelis was paler than ever. He caught his breath as though there wasn't much of it, and the little there was wouldn't last long. Père Amabilis wiped his spectacles and looked utterly forsaken. The natives stood about in awkward, silent groups, coming forward one by one to shake hands and then falling back like so many automatons. Somehow, genuine grief is never graceful. It forgets to pose itself. Its muscles are perfectly slack and unreliable. The sea looked gray and forbidding as it shook its shaggy breakers under the cliff. Life was dismal enough. The animals were unusually wayward, and once or twice I paused in despair under the prickly sunshine, half inclined to go back and begin over again, hoping to renew the past. But just then okay felt like staggering onward, and I began to realize that there are some brief, perfect experiences in life that pass from us like a dream, and this was one of them. In the proem to this idol, I seem to see two shadowy figures passing up and down over a lonesome land. Fever and famine do not stay them. The elements alone have power to check their pilgrimage. Their advent is hailed with joyful bells. Tears fall when they depart. Their paths are peace. Fearlessly they battle with contagion and are at hand to close the pestilential lips of unclean death. They have lifted my soul above things earthly, and held it secure for a moment. From beyond the waters my heart returns to them. Again at twilight, over the still sea, floats the sweet Angelus. Again I approach the chapel falling to slow decay. There are fresh mounds in the churchyard, and the voice of wailing is heard for a passing soul. By and by, if there is work to do, it shall be done, and the hands shall be folded, for the young apostles will have followed in the silent footsteps of their flock. Here endeth the lesson of the Chapel of the Palms. End of chapter 14